We're continuing our work through the Gospel of Luke. If you would turn to Luke chapter 13, we'll look at verses 18 through 30 this morning. While you're turning there, I'll remind you there's a kid's gym in the back if you need a place to move around while hearing the sermon. There's a special needs area outside if you need a place to hear the sermon while not much else is going on. And there's a nursery at the front of this building if you need a place for your children, ages 0 to 3. That's at the front of the building. Luke chapter 13, 18 through 30. Let me ask if you are able, if you would please stand. And I will read aloud from God's Word, the Gospel of Luke, 13th chapter, beginning in the 18th verse. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Would you please be seated, and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we ask that you would guide us through your word, that we would see more clearly that which you have communicated to us through this parable of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we understand what Jesus means when he says to strive to enter the narrow door. May we, Lord God, see more of our sin and our need for you. And may we also see more of Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins, the payment and the reconciliation before you, our Father. So we thank you. We ask, Lord God, that you would do that work here among us this morning. We pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to be spending most of our time looking at this parable of Jesus from verses 22 through 30, but I provided you 18 through 21 so you can have context into the delivery of this parable from Jesus. Beginning in verse 18, if you remember last week, Jesus had recently healed the woman in the synagogue. She had been bent over for 18 years. 
And in verse 18, Jesus says, uh, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? And he offers to those who are in the immediate vicinity, he offers them two similes. Two similes to describe the kingdom of God. Now, those similes give us context into the nature of the parable that he later shares. We're not going to spend much time on these similes, but let me save you the suspense and tell you there are two things that Jesus means to convey with these similes. He means to convey, first of all, that the kingdom of God in this world, it enters into our lives in a very small way. That's why he uses the mustard seed and the leaven. If you've ever uh, used or seen a bottle of Dijon mustard, you know that mustard seeds are very small, right? It's those little brown balls in the, the jar of mustard, okay? These things are small and meant to communicate to us the, the smallness of the beginnings of the kingdom of God in this world. But the second truth that Jesus means to convey with these two similes is that just as the kingdom of God enters this world in a very small way, it begins to rapidly and with great magnitude expand in this world. So the mustard seed becomes the tree which has wide branches which eventually the birds of the air begin to make nest in the branches of the tree. And so though the kingdom begins in a small way, it expands into a great magnificent kingdom where many are welcomed into this kingdom. That provides the context then for the question that the man asked Jesus in verse 22. Now I know some time has passed. Jesus is on the road. He's journeying towards Jerusalem. But these ideas are connected by that singular theme. Jesus declares the greatness of the kingdom. The man says to Jesus, but will those who are saved only be a few? Now, apparently this man has subscribed to the very Jewish idea that in heaven will only be the Jews and the rest of the people will be left out, okay? So in the minds of the Jews, the kingdom of God is for a very select few. The, the similes that Jesus gives then are perplexing to the man. Wait a second, Jesus, I, I thought the kingdom of God was only for a few of us. But apparently, you believe it's going to be great and broad and magnificent and include many people. So he asked the question of Jesus. Now, Jesus then will launch into this parable that's not really an answer to the man's question because it says that Jesus turns and he speaks to them. He, he broadens his audience. The man asks the question, he uses it as a prompt to begin speaking about, again, the nature of the kingdom. And the parable goes something like this. Strive to enter the narrow gate. You know what? Many will desire to enter it, but they will not be able to enter. And they will knock at the door, but the master will shut the door. And the master will say to them, I, I don't know you. Where are you from? And they will say, well, we ate with you. We drank with you. You taught us in your streets. And the master will say, I don't know where you're from. Flee from me, you workers of lawlessness. And the parable ends with this message of, in the kingdom of God will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They will be reclining at the table with the Lord, but on the outside will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the parable that Jesus shares this morning. What I want to do with the parable this morning is very simple, okay? I've given you a picture of on the back of the insert in your bulletin. You can find that picture. 
It's on the reverse side of the outline. And I want to use this picture to propel us into a conversation about this parable. This piece of art was drawn in the 18, it was painted in the 1840s, okay? Painted in the 1840s by a German artist known as Alexander Geisen. The title of the painting is Der Breite und Schmale Weg, which means the wide and the narrow path, the wide and the narrow path. It is an artwork, a piece of art that is indicative of the art of the time. I love this piece of art, I think mostly because I love busy art, right? It's kind of like a where's uh, Waldo for me. And you can spend a long time looking at this painting, but that's not the reason I've given it to you this morning. You can later look at it and observe it for its beauty. I've actually provided you this painting because I believe it represents some of the most common misconceptions about this passage. So we're going to use the painting to help us discuss some of the wrong conclusions about Luke chapter 13. Now, just so you know, Luke 13, 18 through 30, there's a parallel passage that comes in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus shares very much the same message. So here's what I want to do. Misconceptions about the passage. Now, hear me clearly. The three points I'm about to offer you, they're not takeaways, okay? This is not like, well, this is what I learned about Luke 13. These are the wrong conclusions, okay? So when you write them, make sure you understand these are the wrong conclusions. They're not the right conclusions. They're the wrong conclusions. I just want to make sure you know that, okay? The first wrong conclusion we often make about this passage is very simple. We often conclude that this parable is about the amount of people who will be in heaven, all right? That this parable is about the, the quantity of people who will be in the kingdom of God. Now, as you look at the piece of art, you can see how that's often represented. You look at the left path, that's the wide path, and on that path there are many people, aren't they? Uh, uh, they, they are on the pathway, they're on all the edges of the pathway, they're on the side roads. This path on the left is filled with people. If you look at the pathway on the right, the narrow path, there are but a few. And it's an easy conclusion to make from the passage, isn't it? Because as we're reading, we get, for instance, uh, to verse uh, 22. Uh, 23 and 24, and Jesus begins to speak about the many uh, who are on the road. He speaks about the, the many who are standing outside the door and they're knocking, desiring to enter. If you recall in Matthew chapter 7, the correlative passage, Jesus says that the, the wide road is a wide road and there are many who will be on that road. The narrow gate to the narrow way, there are few, okay? And so we begin to make conclusions that this is a parable of quantity, that there will be many on the pathway to destruction, but there will be few who are with us on the pathway to heaven, which is the kingdom of God. The idea has also been abused in the history of the church, hasn't it? There are many uh, parts or portions, uh, denominations within the history of the church who say, listen, we are the few. And they look at the Christians around them and they say, well, they're on the broad path. They're on the road to destruction, but look at us. Yeah, we, we're the, we are the remnant who have it together, right? We draw those conclusions from this parable. I would suggest to you this morning uh, that that is a wrong conclusion for a variety of reasons. First of all, the passage itself seems to contradict that message, doesn't it? Jesus just spoke about the mustard seed that becomes the great tree that has many branches in which the birds of the earth begin to take nest in, okay? 
that was offered as an indication of the breadth and the width of the kingdom of God, for there will be many in it. Also, at the end of the passage, the master of the house says, well, listen, they will come from the north and the south and the east and the west, and they will gather to recline at the table with the Lord. Also seems to indicate a great multitude. And you remember those passages, like in the book of Revelation, where John sees a great multitude that no eye could number standing before the throne of God from every nation and tribe and tongue, giving glory to the Father. So it seems not even to reconcile with this very text. Now, let me tell you, I think we often come to these conclusions because we misunderstand the nature of the parable. Parables are not one-to-one connections, right? We don't read a parable and say, well, that's what the parable said. It must literally mean this. Parables are given to us to communicate broad ideas, okay? Broad ideas. Let me share with you this quote from B.B. Warfield. The old Princeton theologian, he was preaching on this very verse, and he said this, what Jesus says is directed to inciting His hearers to a strenuous effort to make their calling and election sure, rather than to revealing to them the final issue of His saving work in the world. When we read His words in this sense, we therefore do a certain violence to them. We deflect them from their purpose. We distort their meaning and confuse their implications. We can always learn from this passage that salvation is difficult, that it is our duty to address ourselves to obtaining it with diligence and earnest effort. We can never learn from them how many are saved. That was his conclusion on this in Matthew chapter 7. So let me say that's the first misconception that this parable is about quantity at all. It has nothing to do with the quantity who will be in the kingdom of God. The second common misconception about this passage is that this parable is all about the work that we must do to enter the kingdom of heaven. That it's about the work that we must do to enter the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. Now you can see why this might be the conclusion of some, right? For instance, Jesus' first words are strive to enter through the narrow gate. The English word strive is the Greek word agonizomai, from which we get our English agonize. Okay, so you can see the idea there. Agonize over entering the narrow gate. Be concerned with, focus yourselves, strive to enter the narrow gate. And the rest of the passage, it seems to at least lend itself to a works-based conception of this parable. Now, that very idea is communicated in this painting. If you could read it, it's all in German. If you could read it, you'd find there's over a hundred different passages that are written onto this painting. But if you look at the narrow road, one of the things you will find is that there's a lot of things going on on the narrow road. In the eye of the artist at least in his understanding of this parable, there was lots to do to stay on the narrow road. So, for instance, you go work yourself up along the narrow path. The first building on the right appears to be a church building. The brick building, the second building on the right, is the Sontagshula, which is Sunday school, okay? So, there we go. On the narrow path, the next building you find is the Sunday school building. 
You go up along the path, just across the creek, it seems as if there are two parents who are baptizing their children, okay? There's another good thing to do. There's a preaching tent along the way. And then the white building. That's, for me, the most interesting building. This is the Diaconus Institute, which is the institute for the deaconesses, okay? Not for the deacons, for the deaconesses. Uh, I don't know where the Deacon Institute went, but there is one here, an institute for the deaconesses, okay? You go up along the pathway and you still see there's a lion there. I'll tell you the truth, I don't know where the lion's on the pathway. Uh, that one I still haven't figured out. But I will tell you, part of the conception here of the narrow path is that it's not just the narrow gate you enter through, but it is the narrow path that you work to remain on. And in that understanding, there's a works-based conception of entering into the kingdom of God. It is compared to the narrow path in this painting. And if you're wondering what those buildings are on the, sorry, the wide path, you'd find them to be very interesting. The yellow building is the theater. The brown building is the playhouse. That's where the sports happen, okay? I still haven't figured out the red house. If you speak really good German, you can let me know the red house. Again, a works-based conception of the parable in Luke chapter 13. Now, let me say something. I believe that many of you have grown up with this understanding of Scripture, haven't you? Many of you not only conceive of this parable, but of the Gospels as a whole and the Word of God as a whole as a message about the work that you must do to enter the kingdom of God, right? And so when you hear even a parable like this being read aloud, you're probably thinking, okay, this is a checklist. I've got to make sure that I'm doing the work that is necessary for the entering through the narrow gate. Now, let me tell you again, this passage, I believe, in, uh, in of its own accord within the text, it actually disproves that idea. And, and one of the most prominent thoughts that come to my mind is, if you look at those who are excluded from the kingdom of God, they are also involved in some good work, aren't they? It says, as you're reading in verse 24, it says that they are those who are seeking to enter but are not able. And the word seeking means to do a work, to strive. They are desiring to enter the kingdom of God. They are knocking on the door. They say to the Lord in the house, we, we sat and we ate and drank with you. We had fellowship with you. We heard you teaching in our street. The Lord of the house will say, I, I do not know where you come from. And if you remember the words in Matthew, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 takes this even one step farther. And he says, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And I will say to you, flee from me for I never knew you. They also are doing the work. You see, this parable is not about the work that we must do to enter through the narrow gate. It's a very different message that Jesus is communicating in Luke chapter 13. Now, let me just say, for those of you who, who just said, yeah, that's, that's the way I grew up. That's how the church I grew up. That's the culture I grew up in where all of Scripture is about the work that I must do. To understand the Gospels, through the, the lens of the, the, the free offer of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ should be an eye-opening, re rewarding experience for you. You see, to live in such a way that you read the, the words of Christ and you're always thinking, what must I do? 
what must I do is exhausting and it will ultimately leave you empty, okay? You, you, if that's you, you might have been looking at this painting and thinking, oh, the, the deaconess institute, what is that? I haven't done that. I need to do that, I guess. How, how do I get there? How do I get to the next level of going on the narrow path? Of, what is the work that I must do What's being communicated to me? And I would encourage you simply to rest in the understanding that the New Testament message, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that the work has been done on your behalf. That the gospel is free. That the entering through the narrow gate is the work that has been done on your behalf through the Lord Jesus Christ, and you must only receive it. You see, as you begin to think about this passage then in that way, it will begin to take a new light in your life as you understand that Christ Jesus is the one who has died on your behalf. He is the one who has given Himself for you. If you think that your citizenship in God's kingdom is anything other than free, complete, merciful, and a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast, then certainly you will be left wanting as you read these passages. So this is a wonderful painting, but I tell you the truth, the narrow path has not much to do with the theater or the Deaconess Institute or the Sunday school. The narrow path is dealing with something else. Now that brings me to my third misconception. The third misconception concerning this parable is that this parable tells us that we do nothing to enter the kingdom of God, okay? That we do nothing to enter the kingdom of God. And you might be saying, well, wait a second, pastor, you just said that it is wrong to think that this is about the work we must do to enter the kingdom, but now you're saying that also this parable isn't about doing nothing. There's something that we must do, okay? So let's talk about that. Because again, Jesus does use the word agonizomai, strive to enter through the narrow door. And if we're looking at this passage and we're talking about a narrow door, there is something that differentiates the, those who enter through the narrow door and those who remain on the outside. Okay, so what is it? It's a, it's a good question. What is this passage telling us? It's, it's hard to discern. I would say that this parable, if you were to rank all the parables, this is one of the harder parables to discern the message. It is one of those parables uh, where when Jesus says, listen, those who are being called by the Spirit of God will hear the Word of God. Those who are, are apart, who are on the outside, they're going to stumble over this. This is one of those parables that's easy to stumble over. It's one of those parables, I think when Jesus shared it, many people were saying, okay, where's the punchline? Where's this going, Jesus? All right? And I think to understand the parable, you have to understand the rebuke that Jesus offers, okay? In verse 25 and verse 27, he repeats himself twice. Listen to what he says. It says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you're again to stand outside, and uh, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Now those words of Jesus, the rebuke that he offers twice over, it's a weird phrase, isn't it? I do not know you from where you've come from, okay? And the, the, the Greek now and the original language, it gets even weirder, okay? The Greek is written like this. It's oik oida humas pathen esta, which means not I know you where you are from. Not I know you where you are from. 
There's a number of different conclusions we can make. I, I do not know you or where you're from. I do not know you and where you're from. I do not know you or where you are. I do not know you and where you've been. I do not know you and where you're going. That's an interesting question. When I first read it in English, you know, I'm thinking, it, it sounds to me like a gatekeeper during COVID, okay, during the pandemic, right? You've probably gone to the doctor's office in the last 18 months, and you go to the doctor's office, and they say, okay, we're going to fill out this questionnaire. What's your temperature? Where have you been? Have you been in contact with anybody? Have you been traveling abroad in the last 14 days? Do you have any symptoms? Do you have a sore throat? And you go through those, and you're probably thinking, like, everybody's got to have, like, one of those things, don't they? Um, uh, that's what it feels like when you read the English version of this, where Jesus, the Lord, is saying, uh, I do not know you or where you're from. And it's as if he's saying, have you just arrived here? Have you, did you fly here? Did you come in on a boat from the east, the west, the north, uh, the south? Where are you coming from? And I think as we begin to, to really go through this text and ask the questions about what Jesus is saying, it becomes kind of clear uh, what's happening in this parable. You see the operative word in that phrase is the Greek word pothin. That's the word for where, okay, pothin. But it doesn't just mean where. It really is the where of origin, Okay, so we can think of birth or existence. I'll give you a, a few examples from Scripture. Matthew 13, uh, they ask, where did Jesus get all of His wise words? Okay, so they're not saying, well, did He learn that uh, in Jerusalem? They're saying, where did this come from? Where is its origin? Matthew 21 and Luke 20, the baptism of John, they say, where did the baptism of John come from? And they don't mean, did John come from Galilee or did he come from uh, where else? I, don't even, I can't even think of a place right now, but you get the idea. They're saying, where did John's baptism originate from? Is it from heaven or is it from man? And then maybe the, the most clear passage, John chapter 7. Some of the people of Jerusalem uh, therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him. He sent me. That, that word is used like five times in those four verses, okay? And you can hear it, where he comes from, where I come from. Or where I have been. Luke, as a matter of fact, uses the word four times in the Gospel of Luke, all four times. He uses it to mean origin, to mean existence, to mean beginning. And so Jesus says to them in this parable, I do not know you from where you have been born. I do not know you in whom you have your existence, from where you have originated from. And this, I think, actually begins to make sense then of this parable. I think it's, for instance, the reason why Jesus focuses mostly on the gateway and not on the path, okay? Because it's a parable that's dealing with the entrance, not necessarily the journey, okay? The entrance into the kingdom of God. I think it is why Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow gate in the same way that the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
The striving, the working, the agonizing is over the message of the gospel. It is over faith and repentance, which is the only thing necessary for entrance into the kingdom. This also makes sense of those who stand outside the door. For they want to enter. They desire to be in the kingdom of God. They're clamoring and wondering why they're not in there, yet they have not been born again. Born of heaven. And so we see this message this morning is a simple message. The message of the entrance into the kingdom which comes through the narrow door. You see, as we consider even those who stand outside, there are many today who will say, oh, we, we were in church. We sat with you. We heard the proclamation of God's Word. We participated in the Lord's Supper with you. And even among them, there will be some to whom Jesus says, I do not know from where you've been born. I do not know where you get your existence. Depart from me, you workmen of lawlessness. See, this, the message this morning is very simple, and I would suggest to you this morning, it is a beautiful message. It's beautiful because of the way that Jesus ends His parable. The most beautiful thing about this passage is that when the, the narrow door is opened and the children of God are born again by faith and pass through the narrow entry, that the end result will be surprising and amazing and astounding and beautiful, for it says in verse 29, and people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Brothers and sisters, that's us. The ending of this parable is the inclusion of those who seem like they could not be part of the kingdom of God, to the Gentiles, to those who were far off. Friends, all you who are here with us this morning, those you're going to watch at home, the message is very simple. This morning there is but one gate, and it's a narrow gate, not a wide gate. It's not a multiple-choice door. There aren't three options for entering the kingdom of God. There aren't like the best option and then also the options that will work. There are no ways around the wall or slipping through the valley between the wide and the narrow. There's no wiggle room. For everyone who is kind of close to what Jesus describes here, that's why he describes it as a narrow gate. Jesus himself is the gate, nothing more and nothing less. In him you may be born again by having faith in him. The gate is open to you and you may be ushered into the kingdom of God in the presence of God, the present promise of the care of the Father and the future glory in the presence of Jesus in the celestial city, which is also depicted in that painting. For those who are in Christ, then we say, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord God that He has caused us to enter through the narrow gate, that we are included in the kingdom of God. And so we make our calling sure, knowing that we've been ushered into the kingdom of God. For those who are seeking, the message is also very clear. The door is open to you. The door is open to you. And you may enter in by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that simple. And the kingdom of God is this day offered to you. But there will come a day when the door is closed. It's a warning. 
There will come a day when our lives are demanded of us. And at that moment, there will be then no opportunity for entering into the kingdom of God. The door will be closed, and outside that door, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the message to you is very simple. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have offered to us this door this access into the kingdom of God. And we thank you, our Father, that this is not a gateway which is accessed by our work and determination. For the message of the gospel is not about the work that we may do, for we know no matter how hard we work, Lord God, we will fall short. And we cannot, by our own effort, satisfy the righteous demands that our sins have caused. And so we thank you, Lord God, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have, before the foundations of the earth, you have planned to send your Son to offer Him as a sacrifice. That you might be satisfied, Lord God, that our sins the penalty for those sins might be paid, and that we might be reconciled and called sons and daughters of you, our God and Father. You have adopted us into your family, and so for that we praise you. We ask, Lord God, if there are any who listen and hear this message who have not entered through the narrow gate, we ask that you would move in their hearts in a mighty way that they might be convic convicted of their sin and convinced of the righteousness of Christ, and that they might walk through by faith and repentance, which is a gift of your Spirit. For your glory, Lord God, we ask this, and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray.